Hello, friends, and welcome back to your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. And my name is Brent. And I'm the Bitcoin Dad. Yes, that's right. We got a very special guest in studio. We've got the Bitcoin Dad, which we'll be digging into his setup a little bit in the show. And of course, I want to say good morning to our friends over at Tailscale. Tailscale is a mesh VPN protected by WireGuard. Go try it for free for up to 100 devices at tailscale.com. Coming up on the show today, we were challenged to replace some of our daily driver tools with a Rust app for one week. So let's just get this out of the way right now. It is a Rust-heavy episode. So we'll tell you which tools we tried, how it went, and then I have a little surprise for you. I'll give you a little sneak peek of something that I've been trying out. Plus, as you heard, the Bitcoin dad's here. We'll dig into his Linux audio setup and where he wants to take it and how he wants to take advantage of future Linux audio technologies. So before we go any further, let's say time-appropriate greetings to our virtual lug. Hello, Mumble Room. Hello, Chris. Hey, Wes. And hello, Hi. Hello. 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 We have a surprisingly small group in the quiet listening this week, which is fine. Everybody wants to be on air. I understand. But uh, just tag me in the mumble chat or tag me in the uh, matrix chat room, I should say, if uh, you'd like to jump in during the show. We'd be happy to chat about it. So we have a whole bunch of items to cover at the top of the show. First of all, and of course, most importantly, it is Brentley's birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. Brentley. Yeah, I think birthday. That's the birthday ding dong for you right there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank did, did you. you get little, did you get the little hats? I, I asked uh, the Bitcoin dad to send you hats for the cats. Did you get those? Uh, did they show up in the mail? I haven't seen them quite yet, but I also... They were little fedoras. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Weird. I, I will I will check the, the mailbox after the episode here. Okay. Okay. And we have a bunch of uh, happy birthday boosts that we'll uh, get to coming up. And of course, if you're watching live and you want to send Brent a birthday boost, uh, if it's 28,000 sats or around there, it'll automatically get marked as a birthday boost. Happy birthday! It's nice. It's nice. We've got a lot going on these next few weeks. Feels like this is the calm before the storm. Amen. It's nice to have a little birthday party. And a huge thanks to everyone who boosted in for my birthday. I was smiling all week seeing those roll in. So thank you, everyone. I want to mention Linux Fest Northwest. It's it's close. The call for papers deadline approaches, and I don't want you to get caught surprised. It is just a couple of weeks away, and I want to see more papers in there. I want to see more Nick stuff in there. I want to see right. more Fedora stuff in there. I want to see more SUSE stuff in there. Come on, more self-hosting. So we'll put a link to the call for papers and speakers page in there. It's going to be a hell of a party. I don't know. You know, I'm a little concerned that companies are cutting back on the travel budge, but I feel like the group that does make it, it's going to be uh it's going to be one of the best parties we've had in a long time. And I don't really foresee JB doing a lot of other community events this year. There's going to be a few things mm -hmm. here and there, but it's a tight budget year. So this is kind of like where we're putting all our cards this year. I will so. say it's, um, you know, it could be a good candidate just in the sense that the fest itself is free. So, you know, you just got to find, you got to get there and find somewhere to stay, but we're not charging you, you know, yeah, to pay for a ticket. And the venue's fantastic. It's a technical college. The venue is just perfect for this kind of thing. The rooms are perfect, and uh, we love it. Before we get into the Rust stuff, and before we get into Bitcoin Dad's audio setup, I want to just put out there as sort of a public service announcement, the more you know and all that, Graphene OS, or I'm sorry, Graphene OS, is going through some pretty big restructuring changes as of this weekend that we're recording. Uh, the lead developer is stepping down. And uh, he's stepping down also as the director of the nonprofit, both. So he's stepping down from his lead development role of the project, but also 
uh, as the director of the nonprofit. Security patches will continue to be delivered to users from the developers that have been working on the project previously. Daniel is going to take time to transition responsibilities to others. And it seems he hasn't been particularly active in the development for some time. And so the team that's kind of stepping in has already been primarily responsible for development of Graphene OS. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it's something that we've talked about. I'm running, are all three of us here in studio running Graphene OS? Yeah, I run it on several devices. Wow. Yeah, so we're obviously pretty big fans of it. And I'm still rocking it on my Pixel 7. And I'm very happy with it. And I hope this is actually a good transition for the project long term. I think this might actually be a good thing. And a good thing for Daniel, too. Yeah, I was going to say it's a good reminder of the, you know, the human side of open source. There are people with real lives and a lot going on, making sacrifices to make the software that we rely on. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, just we'll keep an eye on it. And so if anything significant develops that concerns us or whatnot, well, of course, we'll let you know. But I, I'm getting a pretty good read from the Graphene OS Matrix development channel right now. It seems like things are actually transitioning. The, the things that were committed are happening. And I think the team that's going to be stepping up is is probably going to be a little more focused now on just development. And I think it's going to probably be best. I guess time will tell, huh? As long as we, uh, you know, new support for new hardware, we yeah. keep seeing regular updates. Here's hoping. When I first saw it, I was a little worried. You know, I have to be honest with you. My first reaction was like, oh, this happens with every Android ROM that I try. You know, that was my, that was that guy for like 30 seconds. But then reading through it all, it, it allayed my fears. You know, Chris, I actually have, I think maybe the opposite reaction. Because I remember when we were first looking at Giraffeen OS, I saw a bunch of this kind of drama floating around. It's hard to know what's true or not, you know, when you first come to a project. And and that, I will say, caused me to hesitate to adopt this project. If it's not for us having dug into it for, for so long and seen the technical merits of it, I don't think I would have given it a try simply because it's like it was this cloud of unknown once you really started diving into it. So I actually think... I agree with you. This is good for the project uh, as a whole moving into the future, it seems like. Yeah, because I think that when people transition out, it almost resets the social history of the project a little. So as long as they can survive that transition, you almost have uh, more opportunity for like a better social response to the project. Yeah, it's a bit of a reset, isn't it? Sounds like in infrastructure too, right? A lot of stuff that Daniel had been taking care of is now just a natural opportunity as you transition to better documented, automated, whatever needs to happen. There's always, you know, room for improvement there too. I think I also agree, like the disconnect between in individual and project, you know, maybe there's a team that takes care of it now versus, you know, the bus factor being quite, quite a high thing. So sounds, sounds like a great move. True. It probably does reduce the bus factor, which uh, for a project this important is a significant thing. Maybe this is the transition that takes it to like another 10 years or something. I'm I'm hopeful. Um, I, I'd love to see it even one day be able to expand beyond Pixel devices. While we're talking about upcoming events, though, I would like to invite anybody who's a little Bitcoin curious and willing to travel to join the Bitcoin dad and myself in El Salvador at the Adopting Bitcoin 2023 conference. We're going to be hosting the open source stage, right? That's right. I We don't have the exact details yet, but... Our contact with the conference has uh, suggested that we can take over a large portion of emceeing and maybe some panels on the open source stage. How great is that? Wow. That's going to be so fun. Well, I mean, it's a great conference and they'll work us like dogs. So 
Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So it's November 7th through the 9th in El Salvador, San Salvador. And, you know, how perfect is it? It's a, it's just the open source and Bitcoin for me. It's, it's a great crossover. And I'm really looking forward to attending the event and helping out. I think it's going to be a good one. And you got time to plan. You know, you join us at Linux Fest, you hang out, you camp with us, and then we'll just fly on down to adopting Bitcoin. So we'll have links to that in the show notes if you're if you're interested. Will you make it back to the States after? Well, that part I'm not so sure I don't about. Know. You might have to come, Wes, just to make sure I come back. Well, yeah. I thought we were borrowing Wes's plane. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about the pain plane that much on the show, though. <laughs> One last thing before we get into the show. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry about all this front matter, but there's a lot to talk about with you guys. We are so, so grateful. Linux Unplugged hit the top 10 chart in Fountain, not once, but twice last week. Episode 511 was in spot number two, and episode 510 was in spot seven. Huge for us. And also, self-hosted was in spot eight. So three JB shows were in the top 10 last week. Tremendous support from our audience, and we always see a flood of new listeners. So hello to the newbies who check us out. Our friends over at the Mere Mortals podcast also were at number six, and I was just on that podcast. So probably by the time or around the time you're listening to this episode, I'll, uh, maybe we could put in after the fact. It could probably be a day or two after we post, but I was on the Mere Mortals podcast just recently. It'll be out soon. So uh, check the links for that. But thank you everybody so much for your support. It's been a really freaky time for me as a small business owner to, so, to see that audience support step up. We, we banked 1.77 million sats last episode. And we committed, if we hit the million sat mark, to uh, letting some of the top boosters pick a topic. And we would do our absolute best to make it an interesting topic. So we're going we're gonna to commit to that and do that. I just want to mention we'll have some pre-recordings coming up. I am going to go on a little family road trip. I'm going to be taking the split that's been sent in over the last few months. And I'm going to be taking some of those sats and using that uh, for gas and food just to see how it goes. Just that, that whole workflow. I've been kind of te- testing a lightning-based workflow to move sats around to make this possible. So I think I have it figured out. So I'm going to do a sats-based road trip just around the coast of Oregon uh, in the middle of June. So we'll have some pre-records coming up. So if you're a live streamer, you'll want to check the calendar. Uh, Lup on the 18th and the 25th won't be live. They'll be pre-recorded at some point. But I just want to say thank you, everybody, who has been supporting the show uh, and helping just make a little family time possible with me and the kids and the wife. Uh, We we really appreciate it. And uh, the support was uh, outrageous and tremendous. And getting on the top 10 charts twice in one week is uh, it's a pretty special treat and an acknowledgement of the hard work we do here. And one of the requests we got was to deep dive into the Bitcoin Dad's Linux setup because he produces the show on Linux. And we thought, well, this would be a great opportunity to actually kind of talk about where you want to go with the audio setup. Because after the show today, Wes and I are going to sit down and kind of go through some Linux audio stuff with you and kind of get it all wired up, as it were. So I know. Traditionally, you've been just a pretty standard Pulse Audio setup, recording, and uh, you want to take it to a fancier level to do some routing and whatnot because you got yourself a new fan- fancy road mixer. So tell us about your goals. What I'd like to do is basically be able to record remote guests directly into my digital audio workstation. And that's not possible with my current setup because I use a... Scarlet i2 audio interface that plugs into my computer via a USB-C cable. Right. And that gives me two microphone jacks, mm-hmm. you know, left, right. 
And so that works with the simple bog standard pulse audio setup because you can bring in left, right. But that means that I can't record remotely because I can't record the inputs from my computer audio. And so if you want to do a remote interview, you end up having to pony up for some podcasting platform that, you know, you all connect to this platform and then it records audio in the browser and it sends it back to me. And I've experimented with those. And in addition to costing money, they're just not good at all. They frequently have issues sort of recording the guest local audio. So I end up having to use the master audio field, like mix from the server. Oh, geez. Yeah, which is lower quality because Mm -hmm. it's being sent to the server. And it doesn't work on several devices because the whole point of that is that you know, Mac, Windows, Linux, it's going to work across devices. So the best option we have right now for remote recording is something that Chris uses, which is fantastic, but it requires the guests to manually select recording local audio and then send it to me. And that's not really a problem with Bitcoin podcasts thus far, because most people I interview are very technically savvy. It's just not a big ask. At the same time, There are a lot of interviews I'd like to do, and these are people who will only connect via Zoom or something. So I want a more robust setup that gives me more inputs into my DAW, and I've heard that the Rodecaster is the way to go. The problem with the Rodecaster is it doesn't have official Linux support, so now we have to get into more advanced audio setups. And this could be applicable to anybody who's perhaps doing a Zoom meeting and they want to record the audio, or maybe you're doing a conference call and you want to route audio from VLC or YouTube into the call. Anytime you basically want to capture audio that's being produced on your computer and use it for something in another application, you run into these problems. And one of the ways people fix this is they externalize it into a mixer. And you can have a mixer that will do that routing for you. But then in the land of Linux, not everything comes with an out-of-the-box driver that makes it just work. Especially if you want fancy multi-channel support and ability to configure things. And Yeah. yeah. And so what you can do with more modern Linux audio stacks like Jack or Pipewire is you can do a lot of that routing. You can do a lot of that mixing in software on your computer. And you can just bring the mixer's inputs in or your audio interface. Maybe it's a USB audio interface. Maybe it's a built-in sound card. You can just bring those inputs into the software, into Jack or into Pipewire, whatever it might be. And then you can route them around. And it is really powerful, but it's also really confusing. And for most people, they just know they have a, you know, Pipewire or Pulse Audio and they just, audio just works. And then that's fine for years until that one day you want to do something a little more advanced. You've been experimenting with installing Jack and Pipewire, but I think you've been running into different kinds of problems depending on what route you take. That's right. And I think that my problem is that I don't fundamentally understand the architecture of Linux audio. From what I can tell now after trying a few different combinations, ALSA, Advanced Linux something audio, seems to be at the heart of Linux audio and then things live on top of it. Do I have that right? It's like an API, right? Yeah, and there's multiple parts to ALSA as well. So it's like, you know, you've got kind of the more, like the user side of things and maybe more like the kernel side of things, depending. But yeah, you end up having to deal with ALSA to yeah. some extent, whichever yeah. path you take. Or, yeah. you know, with depending on some programs, if you, only, if you had one fancy 
make sure you could have your dog talk directly by also as well. Yeah. Yeah. So the answer, unfortunately, the answer there is it, it kind of depends and it depends on the software you're using and the APIs it talks and the age of it and all of that. It's not a, it's not like a yes, it always works this way kind of answer. And the next question I ran into was Pipewire seems to be this new Linux audio solution. And I always confuse it with WireGuard because the wire. Wire, <laughs> right. But Jack, which is an alternative Linux audio server that kind of has this patch panel capability of connecting inputs in, in sort of sequences, it also has a Pipewire version. So it feels like Jack and Pipewire aren't exactly alternatives. They can somehow work together in some situations. I think, again, and maybe I'm wrong, Wes, but for me, it's more helpful to think of all of that as APIs. And Pipewire just happens to speak the Jack APIs. So it is compatible with things that also talk Pipewire. So you can use Jack tooling to manage Pipewire software. And they just kind of work interchangeably. Yeah, historically, you know, you had, you know, Jack introduced a lot of this low latency stuff and and added a lot of fancy abilities to do some of this more sophisticated routing. You can do some of it in, in Pulse Audio if you kind of go the extra mile, but it's a little more complicated and not super intuitive. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so when Pipewire came around, the Pipewire folks have done a, a remarkable job of making it just slot in so you can start a component that acts like a Pulse audio server. Mm -hmm. And you can, you know, start a component that'll say like, oh, yeah, I talk Jack. And so if anyone just tries to use me as a Jack, as a Jack server, I'll, I'll be happy to pretend to be a Jack server. Yeah. And that is part of what's made Pipewire as successful as it is, is because it is API compatible with the existing stuff. You didn't have to remake every tool. I mean, there are Pipewire specific tools, which can have yeah. certain advantages, but all, a lot of the Jack stuff just works. But I think what you're seeing is the end result is it can be, it looks like a lot of things are in that audio stack. Right. And just before we move on, it feels like the fundamental piece might be a Linux real-time kernel because of the low latency nature of Pipewire and Jack, or do I have that wrong? I mean, it's never really been necessary for what we do. Uh, there are definitely applications where real time would matter more, I suppose, but it's good enough for what we use. Yeah, I mean, I think if you were had, you know, you were doing live performance, you were trying to get like, you're trying to get all the effects you were doing in software to also be as real time as possible in your headphones or something. Yeah. Or maybe you have multiple machines that need to sync up at the same exact time sequence for whatever reason, then that matters probably a little okay, bit more. Okay, so that's actually a bit beyond what we're yeah, dealing with yeah. here. Especially if you're just talking about recording, you know, to, to all be edited offline, you're not doing a live stream, like, yeah, that, you'll, you'll be totally fine. Okay. Now, I've tried installing Pipewire and connecting it to my Reaper Audio DAW on OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, uh, also on Ubuntu 22.04. And then after I struggled for a while, I weakened and I installed Ubuntu Studio on a partition and I plugged everything in and it just worked. Oh, good. Nice. But you noticed there were X runs yeah. in the audio. So what did that indicate to you? So the, what I'll hear as an end user that's like connected to you is I'll hear drops in your audio that almost sound like packet loss. It's just slightly different. I don't know how to describe it. It's, it's a different sound, but it's 
a lot like dropping packets. Yeah, it's a buffer under or overrun. So you don't, you know, often you you don't, your your buffer isn't where you need it. You don't have the, the audio packets when you're trying to serve up the next batch. And so, yeah, you get glitches in the audio stream. Usually it's a sign of something is slowing the system down and there's latency being introduced and it can't keep up. And so that could be one area where maybe a low latency kernel would help. Yeah. Uh, but there's probably other settings you can configure, like having, you know, adding more latency to the system to make sure that you have more buffer capacity so that that, that's true. It happen. isn't adjust. You can add more buffer. That is an adjustable setting. I mean, we've had, so this machine's been running since 9 a.m. It's had, uh, looks like, what, 80-something? 80 86X runs. Which is a little unusual, but it's not the end of the world. Okay. Because I did notice on this out-of-the-box Ubuntu Studio install that system utilization was at 25 on a four-thread system. That's rough. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. It can, depending on processing and effects. We, when we're done recording, even if we leave the systems running for that day, we shut off all the jack stuff at night because it just leaves like a parasitic CPU draw going all the time. So always turn it off. But I think for, for just Pipewire, I'd be a little less yeah. worried, especially if you're not running any effects or anything. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not doing inline processing and you're just, you're yeah, just doing the routing layers, you shouldn't be seeing 20 ish percent. Yeah. Be interesting. Hmm. So I ended up using. Jack CTL, a little GUI app that enables a Jack server that can talk the Pipewire API. And it also has a graphing function that kind of shows you your inputs and outputs and you can wire them together. And using that, I was able to create something that sort of worked, but it had X runs and it had high CPU utilization. But then I discovered that the moment I opened a Firefox window and wanted to play some audio in there, it would affect my whole setup. Suddenly things would reroute, I would get feedback. And so it seemed like I had to have a profile, like a routing diagram for every specific situation that I might run into. Hmm. I could see Pipewire's auto-wiring auto things up when you launch a new application, mm -hmm. and that's probably causing some sort of loopback problem. I think that's something we can play with. So what we're going to do is, after the show's done recording here this uh, this evening, we're going to uh, sit down and look at your laptop and see if we can't get it working. Like, because we could do the whole, we could run through the whole process. We could hook up a microphone to it, get the Reaper going, get the remote session going. Oh yeah, we'll just get the whole thing figured out. Because I think it's, I think you're really close. It does sound like you've got a lot of the components that mm -hmm. you need for it. Yeah, mm -hmm. awesome. Well, I'd love to learn the pattern, and I have the mixer here. And also, FYI, my New Year's resolution was to not use command line configuration or install utilities. I do everything using Ansible. Oh, so, all right. How's that going? It's, I haven't gotten a lot done. <laughs> <laughs> but it does mean that if there is a scriptable, reproducible way to do it, we will have that documentation. And eventually, I hope to be able to provide those in a GitHub repo for anyone to use. Awesome. Nice. Linode.com slash unplugged. Head on over there to get $100 in 60-day credit. It's a great way to support the show, and you can check out the exciting news. Linode is now part of Akamai. All the developer-friendly tools, including their great cloud manager that's the best design I've ever seen, an API that's well-documented with libraries in every popular language, and a command-line client that's straightforward. I use it almost every day to upload to S3 object storage, take a quick snapshot. All the tools that help you build and deploy at scale in the cloud 
They're still available, but now they're combined with the power and global reach of Akamai, and they're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources, resources and tools, while still providing that classic, reliable, affordable, and scalable solution for individuals and businesses of all sizes. It's what we use for our entire backend. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, data centers are expanding worldwide. They're investing big, and they're giving you more access to more resources so you can grow and scale your business to serve your customers. So why wait? Experience the power of Linode, now Akamai. Head on over to linode.com slash unplug. Support the show and learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from the cloud all the way out to the very edgy edge. Yeah, like, like Canada. I know. <laughs> linode.com slash unplug. Go get the $100 for 60 days and support the show. linode.com slash unplugged. So last week we were challenged with finding some rusty replacements for some tools that we use on the weekly. And uh, each of us, I think, chose a tool, but we didn't really share what each of us were, were choosing one of those crazy episodes. But this week I got inspired and I chose a, an application called Polaris, which is a music streaming application designed to stream your library from one computer to a next or your phone or even from you know, remotely and totally, I think it's 97% rust. And as far as GitHub reports, so I think that that counts, right? Yeah. There's a bunch of other helpful, helpful tools in there. So this was a fascinating exploration. Well, first of all, I got tied to it because the name Polaris, uh, here in Canada, we have the Polaris prize, which is a music prize that celebrates the best Canadian artists of the year. So I was like, oh, this seems like wonderfully suited. Uh, So I started liking it right away, even before I tried it. But it's a slick little application, sort of uh, an interesting replacement to say Jellyfin if you want to do music only. And what I appreciated about it once I got it up and running was that it's just, as you might expect, just super snappy, super fast, really responsive everywhere. Uh, So there is um, a Docker project that dockerizes this Polaris application. It's a little outdated. It's one version back and hasn't seen that much love. So if anyone is interested in, you know, doing a little tiny bit of open source, uh, giving it a little bit of love, that would be a great place to start. So I, I actually, I tried this path first, didn't find much success. Now I'm not a Docker expert. So maybe someone else can do it. And if you get it up and running, share that success with others, doing a pull request would be amazing. So I ended up actually having to build it with some of the Rust tools, which was fun and super easy. The instructions to get Polaris up and running are really straightforward and worked well, at least on the Ubuntu system that I use here as a little tiny server. And once it's up and running, it's actually pretty slick. It is version 0.14. So I would say still early days, but it was super stable from how much I used it up until this point. And I would say if you're interested in just streaming music like this might stay with me, I think it's going to beat out Jellyfin for me for this use case. Yeah. Or maybe Spotify, you know, that's if, if you, and then one of the things I liked about it, at least in their web demo, because it also will work as a web app. They have mobile applications, desktop applications, okay. and a web app. 
And if you load the web app demo they have, they just have a folder of Creative Commons music in there. You can just start playing. So you can just try it out right away. And it's got all the things you'd, you would expect. Like it's been optimized for very large collections. It will do last FM integration for people that still do that. And then, you know, you can play on the go. It's pretty nice. And it's like, like Brent said, it's 97% rust and it's 1.3% PowerShell. <laughs> so, so it has decent Windows support, huh? Yeah, yeah, it does. That's it does, nice. It does specifically list something called Windows. I don't know why you'd want to put this music player on your house window. Well, but it, sometimes some of your friends or family might listen to music. And, and something called BSD? I don't know. That sounds like something we shouldn't talk about on the show, but that, uh, that's also supported. It's a nice find. And when I was playing around with it, I felt like it was pretty snappy. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised, actually. The The thing I think that works for me is that it's uh, it currently shows like a folder structure to browse your music. And that is yeah. one of my preferences. It does not have other view ways of viewing your collection. You know, it's still somewhat early days. I'm sure that stuff can be integrated with some more work and as the project you know matures. Uh, but if if you don't mind that. It's actually a really nice way to browse your music. So it's a bit different than the than the Jellyfin approach of sort of, you know, indexing it and doing it based on all the metadata. This is more of like a, a streaming, but just like give you a view into what's actually sitting on your file system there. And can it speak to a Jellyfin server? Because that would be a killer app for me. It actually replaces a Jellyfin server in that regard. Yeah, you're thinking of something like PlexAmp. There is a, there is like a Jellyamp or something. There is a FinAmp. FinAmp. There's FinAmp. I have a little bit of experience with FinAmp because I've been trying to solve this problem for a little over a year now. And I found using those, in my experience, I would occasionally run into playback issues or just like interface disconnects between server and the interface on mobile. Um, so, But I found Polaris to, at least in this short time I've been using it, to not really run into those at all, even with multiple clients streaming at the same time it was still super snappy so i was quite impressed i will say uh, one thing that i did notice that it has is offline support on the mobile at least on the android client as well oh very good nice. so it'll yeah. download and cache things exactly Ooh. yeah so if you're you know doing the plane thing or you're in the middle of the woods like i am sometimes that comes in handy also you got to respect the fact they publish on Android. I, I think we should try to go out of our way to mention when projects do that because I am so grateful now that I'm on now that I am on the Pixel. Fdroid is where I prefer to install it. So it looks like they're actively maintaining it over there. At least version 0.94 is published. They also have an iOS version. And the reason I mention that is I think it has a, a brilliant name, Polarios. So I think that's clever. Nice find, Brent. I th how funny is it that uh, you do this as a lark and maybe find like your forever music app after all this time of looking and us talking about this and all that. <laughs> right. That's so great, Brent. It's That's just good. another lesson that you got to try stuff from time to time and change, change up your habits. Or was the problem that none of your previous picks were written in Rust? <laughs> okay, well, so, Wes, did you find a forever tool for you that has been written in Rust? Oh, I don't know. Forever tool, that's a high bar. Yeah. I, think, I think the jury's still out on that. But I found a surprisingly compelling tool in a category you might not expect. Because, okay. yes, it's yet another text editor. Ah, but it's a Rust-based text editor, which means native app. Not Electron. Yes, LAPS. Uh, L-A-P-C-E. It's open source and builds itself as being quick from launch to every keystroke 
with batteries included. Native GUI and Rust-powered performance. Write code with joy. And uh, yeah, it's got uh, it's got a pure Rust with a UI in Druid, which is a, a UI system for Rust. It's designed with Rope Science, which is a set of like text manipulation tools from the XI editor. If you've ever, we've talked about that, I think, before. Rope Science? Is That's that right? what you said? Rope Science. Okay. And that kind of powers the lightning fast computation of text updates and rendering text and managing all the text in the buffer. I bet it does. And this thing uses OpenGL for rendering. I mean, come on, Chris. I think this was made for you. It actually, it might be. So Wes is like, you really got to try this out before the show. And I'm like, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah I think I think you should try this out. And I'm like, okay, so I'll give it a go. So I, I downloaded, what do we call it? Laps? Laps, yeah. I download Laps. They do have a flat pack of it. They also just have a tar. GZ you can download. But I grabbed the flat pack because I like to have all of my packages managed by a package manager that then downloads all of them and updates all of them in one go. And so that's why I'm using the flat pack. But I fired it right up and I could, I'm not even kidding, when I moved the window around on my screen, I could already tell it was snappier than Electron app. And then you get into like installing plugins and opening tabs and moving between your documents and scrolling your document. And it is a type of fast that feels like mom's home cooking. Like I've been eating microwave meals for three or four years and I just went home and had some of mom's home cooking and I almost got a tear in my eye about it. It is so much faster. Or, you know, it kind of reminds me of some of the systems we've talked about from, you know, decades past before we had a lot of compositing and all kinds of desktop, you know, where just apps just snappily launched without a lot of, (laughs) without a lot of BS. (laughs) What a concept. What a concept. What a world we have lived in where an application that performs faster than I expect it to is the rarity. And that we have just, everything about these Electron apps is just a little bit slower. That's what using Laps has really reminded me of. And it's something that I finally buried deep down and stopped hating and thinking about constantly as I use the apps. And what you've done here is you've resurfaced this trauma. And I'm going to be thinking about this every time I use an Electron app for like the next five years. Now, the trade-off we make is that, you know, obviously Electron it's super convenient. You can leverage web technologies. You get a lot of developer productivity out of it, which means you get a lot of features in your Electron apps that yep. you like, yep. especially in a text editor that, or, you know, sort of pseudo IDE. And Laps, it's actually farther along than I thought it might be. You know, it's yeah. got a built-in terminal, which is also super snappy. It's got a decent plug-in ecosystem. I mean, it's, it's nowhere near VS Code, but it's got a lot of the stuff you'd want. It's got a PyWrite setup for Python. It's got, obviously, it's got support for Rust. It's got language server sort of support built in. So you Python, can, there's a YAML, lot of, Markdown, TypeScript, JavaScript, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Java, YAML, yeah, mm-hmm. Toml, exactly. Those plugins, they're also powered by WebAssembly, uh, WASI, the WASI specification to be specific. So anything that can target that, you can you can write a plugin for it yourself. One area that it falls down and one area that means it might not be in my daily driver list right now is there's not yet any closure plugins. Oh. But I might try it at work, honestly, because there's, I mean, I, I use Pyrite via VS Code for my day job. They've got it here, you know, why not give it a try? It's certainly much, certainly much snappier. It's not quite as friendly it's like kind of a minimalist vs code experience i'd say um, yes. but much like vs code it's command palette driven so if you're familiar with that workflow super easy it's very helpful it's it's quite um snappy there too and good suggestions nice autocomplete mm-hmm. and then um they've got a ton of really handy shortcuts built in too so it seems like a, a power tool you could get up to speed with pretty quick it's also got a modal editing feature you know much like uh, much like vi mm-hmm and it's got some more support for connecting to a remote machine built in, which is, a, you know, a popular VS Code feature as well. So uh, there really are a lot of batteries included. And it's I was really skeptical that 
sort of a, you know, kind of up and coming text editor could replace all the stuff that's crammed into VS Code. Yeah. But yeah. Laps comes close. It's really close. And if you don't need everything VS Code does, I think it's there. Oh, it's if you need like just some of the basics, it's, go check it out and, and see if it covers it because it's so fast. It is a pleasure to use. And like if you just download the whole binary, I think it's 18 megs compressed, 80 megs uncompressed. Mm-hmm. And so you could just seems like a nice starter where it's like you start you start with laps. Gets a lot of your bases covered on a system. It could be your go-to. You could just have it in your base, you know, your Ansible package set or your Nix config. And then for the systems where you're doing a lot of development or there's a plugin that isn't covered in this ecosystem, you still have, you know, VS Code or IntelliJ or all the rest. Yeah. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And we did a little memory comparison. I mean, it uses just a fraction of the memory. It still, you know, uses memory, but it's using a fraction of the memory of the Electron app. So there's that as well. Well, I decided to do the right thing and just go all the way in this week. Instead of replacing a single app, I replaced the entire desktop operating system. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, so we have been watching from afar uh, Redox, or I think it's Redox, uh, which is a Unix-like operating system that has been entirely, entirely written in Rust. And it's aiming to bring the innovations of Rust to a modern microkernel It has a full set of applications. It's MIT licensed. Drivers run in user space. Oh. Yeah. It's been inspired by Plan 9, Minix, BSD, and Linux. And the way that manifests itself is some of the commands you expect, like, say, uname, uname-a, works. Uh, Top, no top. (laughs) So, like, it's it's a bit of a mix. But PS, right? PS does what you expect it to do. Jeremy Soller, who is also uh, one of the uh, key brains behind System76, is the lead developer here. And he kind of has this ethos of not reinventing the wheel if it doesn't need to be reinvented. So he is using open source tools and utilities where it does make sense, I think, here. But in order to pull something like this off, that's quote, not just a Linux clone. He says it's not a Linux clone or POSIX compliant, nor are, we, nor are we crazy scientists who wish to redesign everything. We stick to well-tested and proven correct designs. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But in order to do a whole OS, of course, then you need a file manager. You need a terminal client. You need a package manager. You need things like a memory allocator. You need something that's like Vi, if not Vi. Right? You need all of these things. Hey, you didn't even say Nano. Great. Well, you need Nano. Let's be real. You need Nano. But Nano is so great that I think you just want to port that over directly. Probably don't want to rewrite that. Or, you know, what? Redox is in Rust, so maybe maybe Laps could run on Redox. No problem. I don't know. I don't know, but I think it could. I think it should. It's a really interesting idea, and so I've been dipping my toes into it. And what I think we ought to do is I want to hit pause right here because it's a whole new OS, and I want to collect feedback from the audience. Have you tried this, and what are your thoughts? And then I think also... It'd be great to have a couple of you boys give it a shot, see what you think. We come back in, the, in a future episode and tell you what it was like to live entirely in a Rust operating system. All right. I'm in. Give it a try. We'll find out. Because you know what? We're trying to get Rust into the Linux kernel. Just a little bit of Rust. What's it like if you go the whole way? Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Head on over there to get started with a free trial for yourself or for a team or enterprise. Just go check it out. It's the easiest way for yourself or a business to store, share, and sync sensitive data. It's great for open source projects, too, that want to have proper security standards and need to share credentials from time to time. And Bitwarden can be used to store all kinds of sensitive data. Passphrases, two-factor codes, recovery sentences, and passphrases. I use that all the time. Some of my systems, I have 
two-factor tokens, I have recovery phrases, I have usernames and passwords, and the beautiful thing about Bitwarden is it will make it so straightforward and simple to have a unique username, unique password, and unique email address for every site and service or app you use. Mobile, desktop, web, they have you covered. It's what Wes and I use now for multiple years to do all of our secret management, and it's open source. So millions in the community can trust it and verify it. We got lots of eyes on that code. And one of the things that gives us confidence in Bitwarden is their continued commitment to making it better, solid, nice improvements that really make quality of life better and better to the point now where it's just silly to use anything else. Go see what I'm talking about. It's even simple to migrate if you have an existing password manager. Just get started by going to bitwarden.com slash Linux. That's where you go right now, either a business, a team, a project out there, or an individual. Bitwarden.com slash Linux. Linux. And now it is time for the boost. We got a bunch of great boosts. Friar Tech came in as our baller booster this week with a total of 300,000 sats coming in from Podverse. He says, Many months ago, I sent in one sat stating I would no longer send any sats until members could easily donate. I apologize for my indiscretion couldn't imagine the audacity of someone telling me how to run my business. I apologize. To make up for that, I've upped my membership at Jupiter.party to $25 a month, and Whoa. here is 200,000 sats to show you, Wes and Brent, how much I appreciate your passion and your commitment to being the open source beacons you are. Thanks for all you do. And then he sent in a follow-up to say happy birthday to Brent. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you very much, Friar Tech. And second of all, we're talking about ways to improve the member experience is a very frequent conversation. It's something we're always discussing. One of the things I did recently is I enabled pay your own price. So we do have the minimum price, of course, because we have the membership price, which we do put on sale very rarely. And then you can set your own price above and beyond that if you would like to for Jupiter.party or the Unplugged Core. And uh, we've got a lot of requests for that, so I enabled that. But thank you very much. We really do appreciate it. And then uh, another baller came in Somebody named Noble Payne comes in with 288,888,000 sats. It's a lot of eights. I'm guessing that's a Brent birthday boost. It sure is. He writes, happy birthday, Brent. Here's some sats for the brunch ingredients. <laughs> Hashtag birthday brunch with Brent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, telling you. Thank you. You Wes. do it, Brent. Cook it up. Load those sats into, load up the Zeus wallet, connect it to Albi. Send them over to an app of your choice. Get some moose. And go get yourself some breakfast moose. Moose. <laughs> I'll report the moose back. moose. Thank you. Thank you. Calm Brewer came in with, is this a, a, a mega duck? What do we call these? Quaka waka. It's a treasure. Yippee. I think there's some McDucks. A McDucks. Mm -hmm. 222,222 sats. Hey guys, long time listener, first time booster. I figured I should put my vote in for a radio episode by paying for some licenses. Also, please put a call out for some awesome volunteer examiners in the area to help with license testing at Linux Fest. I'm sure there are some hams that listen to the show that might have the time to help, give talks, and or help with a training session. P.S. You should see if Jason, Cam, for Hack, would come on and talk about build a pie for love or self-hosted. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot here. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine if we could get if we could become hams at Linux Fest. Oh, that'd be super fun. That would be so, so great. I would love to try that. 
Well, us and a bunch of folks, uh, you know, a bunch of listeners as well. I don't see why not. We can do a whole like group thing that would be super fun. If I was a certified ham, wouldn't that give me access to a different class of radio that I could potentially use when road tripping? Yes. That would be useful right there. You know, now I see your motivation because I was looking at some radios on the uh, jungle book and they were like, you gotta be a ham operator to use this radio. And I'm like, but I just want something that goes more than a mile when I'm driving. Can you give me anything that goes more? These things, they say like 35 miles on the box. BS. I, okay. All right. I would really, really be interested in uh, pursuing that. And Calm Brewer, thank you for the first time boost. No kidding. Really appreciate it. I code naked boosted in with boost CLI. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> okay. Do you really code naked? Really? <laughs> uh, well, why not? I don't know. With, just with a coder robe, perhaps? That is a hot boost. Saying, I absolutely love the podcast. Showing my support by throwing some magic internet money your way. Oh, that must be an OG right there. I'm thinking, right? Yeah, that's original Bitcoin wizard stuff. That's uh, back in my day kind of stuff right there. That's great. Hybrid Sarcasm comes in with 100,000 sats. Ah, using the podcast index to send in that boost. Getting my boost in for this week. No message except happy birthday to Brent. Hashtag 1 million sat challenge. Hybrid, you are so great. Thank you. You really are. I, I I cannot I cannot wait to see hybrid. I, I I'm I'm assuming you're gonna make it to Linux Fest, right? I mean I'm assuming. Yeah, this one came in just while we were live, even. No kidding. Uh huh. Look at you. Yeah, I've been sneakily pulling them in. Good job, Wes. Well done. Well done. You want to take Tim there? Tim boosts in with ninety eight thousand five hundred and one satoshis. Boost. Simple, right to the point. Tim says thanks for existing. You know what? Right now, I'm really grateful Tim exists. So, it's uh it's mutual. At Moonanite came in with ninety six thousand. 107 sats in total. Ooh, all right. Speaking of using AI to transform data, I recently started using Nextcloud's cookbook. It's fantastic. It has a feature where you paste in a URL to a site that's compliant with the schema.org recipe format. This allows you to automatically import recipes into your own cookbook. The issue, though, is that a lot of the blog spammy sites don't follow the schema. Last week, I had a thought. AI could probably fix this for me. So I found a recipe that I like, copied the contents of the page, then wrote the following prompt into ChatGPT. Here's a recipe. Please convert it into the schema.org recipe format. And pasted the recipe text. Oh my God. That is brilliant. First of all, my wife uses the crap out of the Nextcloud cookbook app, and there's so many spammy sites that she can't Right. Just import. And I've got her set up with Chadgipity with a self-hosted Chadgipity front end, the chatbot UI that she's got in a tab. And she's tabbing over to that thing all the time, asking for garden stuff and farm stuff. It's a farm. And, and now, now she could just reconvert. This is so useful. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about right here. Moon and I, thank you so, so much. We use the, by the way, if you have Nextcloud, you've got to check out the, the, uh, the cookbook app or recipes app, whatever it is. It's a decent app in the, in the web UI. I mean, it's totally usable, mm -hmm. but there are really solid high spouse approval factor apps for both iOS and Android that will connect to that. That's so great. It's really nice. This makes me think too, you could, uh, you know, once you've gone to the trouble of doing this, maybe you automate it, you know, with the 
ChatGPT API or something, you dump a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Then we could take some of the open source models and then like train it on that data, build ourselves a little like a recipe. You know, I'm trying to think, how do we make this fully open source where we get ourselves a little self-hosting? Yeah. Like recipe scrape. We got to get open your mouth recipes going again. Remember those? Remember the open your mouth recipes? We got to do that again. Moon and Knight followed up with a thousand sats saying, hey, by the way, I'm about to batch open a bunch of channels. Do you guys need inbound liquidity? Which node should I peer with if so? Also, the first boost in the chain is a zip code boost. So I've been thinking about my own personal node. And I've been wondering if I should publicly, like once I have it, I don't actually have a personal node set up. When I do have my personal node set up, should I publicly share that node information and let, you know, open up channels? No, I I think that you should keep your personal node for your personal group. Private? Yeah, maybe you open up a channel with a liquidity provider like Ellen Big or someone if you need some inbound for some reason, like, and you can't wait for it to sort of naturally balance that way. But the issue is once you publicly associate that node pub key with your identity, it's going to be put into chain analysis and they're going to be using that data to de-anonymize everyone who connects to you as mm. well. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, that, that doesn't sound ideal. I would like some liquidity, but I don't need a lot. I'll, you know what? On the JB node, we're good right now, but I, I would love to have kind of like some folks I could reach out to and be like, hey, would you open up a channel with us from time to time? So we should connect on Matrix. Right. New channel. Channel party. Yeah. We should have a channel party. That's a great room. idea. <laughs> and it looks like uh, Moon Knight was boosting in from Mono County, California, Colville, Walker, Sonora Junction, somewhere around there. Ooh. Like that area a lot. Wolfman 2G1 comes in with 50,000 sats on the Fountain app. There's an entire world of packet-based radio out there. Protocols like... AX25, DMR, FT8. FT8 is getting really popular. Basically, you can make short contacts to people around the world just using software and radio, which is great for an introvert like myself. DMR is fun because you can have a Pi Zero running special software tethered to your phone and a DMR-compatible hand radio and talk to people all over the world. I got my license less than a year ago, and I've learned so much. It's a lot of fun. You know, I do think all the, you know, the physics and math and stuff around like frequencies and radio really neat. So I think we, especially if we had some help, like it could, it could be a yes. lot of fun to learn. That is the part that appeals to me more. Like what I get what Wolfman's saying here, but like we've got a ton of people in the mumble room right now I could talk to in real time, right? Like I'm doing that over IP, man. I'm doing that with no license over IP. And we have literally people in every country in the world that has has internet access to downloading the show. So like the distribution is pretty solid too, but I do love the science of it. And there has been a couple of moments where like the cellular networks have gotten overloaded and it's Mm -hmm. made me think, how would I coordinate with say I'm here at the studio, the wife's she's up at the farm, right? The kids are with their mom. We're all separated. How do I communicate with them when the general infrastructure is offline? And that's where I start thinking having some kind of radio system makes uh-huh. a lot of sense. And then also you got the, the road trip in and the camp and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Eight, five, six, five boots in with 49,327 cents. Hey, all right. Thank you, sir. Fun will now commence. And this is a first time boost. 8565 writes, this is my first boost. I am huge into GMRS radios and my dad is a big ham guy. 
I really recommend doing GMRS radios because the license is 35 bucks and no test. It's a good step to learn before going full ham. I'm currently working on connected repeaters that are slowly beginning to cover most of my area, making radio communications possible over hundreds of miles. Oh. And this is also a zip code boost. Okay, so this is what I'm thinking. GMRS is what I would need for the road tripping. I don't, I don't think I actually need to be full ham. In fact, I don't even know if I'd want to be full ham. I think it's just GMRS, which is a, uh, a, a radio technology that can just cover more terrain. Fascinating that you're setting up boosters. What a great idea. What a neat, what a neat, neat network. Like get some boosters going between you and I. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> also looks like uh, 8565 is coming in from Nuego County, Michigan. Aha. Hello, Michigan. Faraday Fedora boosted in with a total of 29,734 sets. First one to say happy birthday, Brent. Hell yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Pie is Definitely better than cake for sure, he says. Uh, 500 <laughs> sats later says, yes to ham radio. I, I challenge the three of you to get your licenses. I got my license in about 2019 and haven't been super active since. Gave another one, two, three, four sats for a live birthday boost. A birthday boost. I'm feeling this ham radio license by Linux Fest Northwest. I just, my, my psychology on it is, like, if the audience buys into it, I'll commit 100%. But if I'm feeling like light audience buy-in, you know, then I'm like, oh. I don't really want to commit my energy to that. So I'm we, trying to feel you like... You need some peers. You need some people to be in your study group with you. I'm wondering if we could get like an audience thing going. Like some other people in the audience could do it with us too. It's more than just us. It's, it's like a bigger thing or something. Kind of drag us all along. Now, Faraday Fedora also sent in an email saying, oops, I uh, accidentally sent one of those prematurely and only half the message got sent in but i also don't have any sats left in my wallet to continue and correct uh, understandable. Said yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so he said if we get our license uh they're actually in the area and they're on a hill around here and can probably get in touch with anyone who's around the studio what? so their call wait, sign wait, hold on no way faraday fedora is in the area Boosters are like celebrities to me. To think that a booster is in the area is well, that's pretty exciting. I, I mean, in within radio area, specific, they specifically say oh. I can hit a couple oh. northern Washington repeaters when I'm on a hill around here. And if you guys get your licenses, we should make contact. So, I mean, these are some of the possibilities. Close is a relative. Hashtag backyard boosters. Now, are you seeing we've got live boost coming in as, as late as six minutes ago? People are excited about Brent's birthday. That's really sweet. That's so great. Faraday, let's talk more. I think this is, I'm feeling like this is something that needs to happen. Dino came in with 28,000 sats. Hey team, I just wanted to reach out using the newly updated Castomatic app now with Albi support. Congratulations on that, by the way. I'm very excited. Uh, it's easy and I'm always happy to support Jupiter Broadcasting when I can. Um, and he says, I want to send an additional 8,000 sats along just to make sure that I met the birthday boost. <laughs> Have a great birthday, he says, mate. <laughs> Thank you, Dino. Castomatic adopting Albi, I think, makes a lot of sense, right? Because now you have one wallet backend you can move between something like the podcast index. And so when AntennaPod or PocketCast come along to boosting, I suspect they'll be doing the Albi implementation as well. So just a little bit more portability. Daja boosts in with 28,000 cents. Well, happy birthday, Brent, you young whippersnapper. I hope you get lots of gluten-free cake or another treat. Or both. <laughs> You're awesome. Aww. Aww. 
Daja also just signed up for their second Jupiter Party membership, so we could celebrate that as well. Thank you. No way. Wow. Two memberships? Stop it. Figured that would be easier on you guys than figuring out a new plan and all the complexities that go into that. And I just got pay what you like set up, but I really, really appreciate it. That is some serious commitment. Daja notes that they're not the most consistent booster, but uh, I'm stuck in a long-term relationship with AntennaPod, so streaming sats won't work out, <laughs> but auto pay sure will. I understand. You know, the members are a critical part to kind of having a budget and understanding, like, what the ongoing revenue is, and we really do, really do appreciate that. <laughs> That's so... And Daja, you know, you're a frequent enough booster that your name, you're, you're, one of the, you're one of the regulars in my mind. We see you. Yeah, that's right. High Five Connoisseur came in with 28,000 sats. I got a feeling this might be a birthday boost. Coming in hot with the boost. <laughs> As a fellow gluten-free person, I can attest that there are great gluten-free cakes being made out there in the world. If y'all are in the Portland metro area, I got my wedding cake from Unicorn Bake Shop. Here's a potential list that are near Chris the next time Brent is down that way. Happy birthday. <laughs> That's great. I wonder if the one in my little town of Mount Vernon is on here. If not, I bet I can import one from down south. We have a gluten-free bakery in Mount Vernon that is so good. Ooh. It's, how good is it, Wes? It's so good. I didn't know it was a gluten-free bakery when I went there for breakfast mm. that morning. I just went there and ordered breakfast. <laughs> and then later discovered it was gluten-free. And I'm like, no, there's no way what I just had was gluten-free. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, everything here is gluten-free. I'm like, no, not what I had, though. <laughs> no, everything is. What kind of gluten-free crap is Brent been feeding? <laughs> And you haven't taken me here? What the heck? I thought, I don't know. I thought you had actually been. I, I think, been. yeah, a couple of years ago I had. But come on. I should be in every okay. every time I'm there. Oh, all right. I see. I see how it is. I see how it is. I'm deprived. All of right. Here. Well, next time you visit. All right. So you just got to come on down. Uh, the Golden Dragon comes in with 28,000 sats. He says, happy birthday, Brent. May these sats get you a great birthday meal or a pie. Whatever you like. I got asked uh, what kind of pie, you know, because I hadn't specified. And I think probably like a strawberry rhubarb, if you've ever had one. Those are at the top oh, of my list. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. With a uh, crust made from lard and a bunch of ice cream on top, right? <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Zach Attack boosts in with 20,000 cents. Forgot to boost this in last week for a show suggestion. So to make up for it, I also signed up for a show membership too. Wouldn't mind seeing something on Linux security, with a focus on hardening and devices like Open Canary or Security Onion, along with amateur radio on Linux. What can I say? I do both. Thank you for the podcast. Thank you, Zach Tech. Really appreciate that. Uh, I really would be interested in a security-focused episode. You know, for the very last little portion of my IT career, I did focus in a lot on security, and so it's always kind of been an area that I love checking in on. So we'd love some suggestions there. Maybe we like, you know, we hack Brent's laptop, steal his nudes, you know, whichever one you got the nudes on. Oh, I guess that's all of he them. He probably, probably sings them around with yeah. next class. Yeah. <laughs> 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 of course. <laughs> uh, we'll do, you know what, we have so many boosts. So I just want to say thank you, everybody. Uh, Prozac did come in with 6,000 boosts just to say thank you for the work. Uh, the Golden Dragon also sent another boost to say happy birthday to Brent. And he hopes for another great year. Golden Dragon, you're the best. Uh, VT Telnet came in with 10,000 sats from Chile. How about that? Nice. And one day we'll have Firefox that's 100% rust. At least that's according to Bear 454. I got to check that out. Let's put that link in the show notes. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. If you look at the statistics, the amount of rust in Firefox is going way up. One day, Firefox will be able to claim it is the Rust browser. I wow. like uh, Gene Bean just anticipated you with a row of ducks saying, why don't you try Redox OS? Look at that. Gene Bean, you nailed it. He gets you. Gene Bean has been in sync recently. I, I have to say, he sent me a message recently. He was like, yeah, uh, you know what I would love to do? If I could do the Redux OS challenge my way, I'd sit down with dinner with Jeremy. We'd have microphones going and some, some brewskis or whatever his beverage of choice is. I don't care. And uh, just kind of chat about like, I don't know, like the science project this seems to be. Like, I don't feel like he wants to label it as a science project, but it feels like a lot of what gets experimented there then gets like a, an implementation that the rest of us will use in pop OS. Like a lot of what's being figured out there, I think might be informing how things are built in pop OS. And I would love to have that conversation. Neil comes in with 14,638 sats. He wanted to give us all his sats he earned from fountain. Wow. That's at a fair amount of sats, 14,638. It's also a postal code boost. If you multiply the amount by 41 and then convert the number from a decimal to base 36. Well, I'm sure you've got that, Wes, right? Of, of course. Yeah, and with our location. <laughs> uh, Location unknown? <laughs> what? <laughs> this one might require some homework. Yeah, you know what you got to do is throw it into the Chad, Chad Jippity over there and have Chad figure it out for you. You know what I mean? I love it. I love that Neil managed to stump you. Yeah. Good huh. work. I love it. We got to see more like these. Yeah. Keep I, the puzzles coming. I, I actually thought, I mean, I, just, I don't know. I guess I'm just a little surprised that you don't have that cracked already. I just thought that'd be something you'd have figured out really quick. You should be using IT tools, that container mentioned on self-hosted. That's true. Oh, you know, great idea. Look at that. The Bitcoin dad coming in with the plug. <laughs> <laughs> Cospelan came in with some support as well as uh, several others. And uh, we have one more zip code boost that I wanted to get in before we get out of here this week. Thank you, everybody who boosted in. We really appreciate the support. Uh, I, I will read out the total here in a moment. That's something I've been wanting to commit to. But I got one more zip code for you, Wes. Are you ready? Let's do it. HBC Morgan came in with 2,120 sats. If you prepend a zero, if you prepend a zero, to, you'll get my zip code. It's nothing more than a thank you. Now, oh, that looks like a zip code in Boston, Massachusetts. Ah, hello, See, Boston. See, that, that one I can do. Hello, Boston. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Oh, 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 oh. And then I had to read this one. I have to read this boost. One last boost. But this is the last one for this week. Then we're going to move on. Ready, one, take four. Sent in 15,000 sats to link us to this tool that I want us to check out. He says, don't know if you've seen this. I use this all the time as a broadcast engineer. It's super powerful and it's open source. And what it basically does is it turns the quote unquote low cost stream deck you can get from Elgato, the little multi-button OLED thing, control panel that you can get and work with Linux. Well, you basically can turn this into a professional shot box surface with a huge amount of different functionality. It takes it to like the maximum next level uh, with button designers, uh, stacked action, delayed action, support for multiple stream decks. If you have multiple of these devices as a web interface, it is, it is, it basically takes the Elgato stream deck 
and it turns it into a massive powerhouse machine. And it even has its it has an entire Raspberry Pi OS image. So you could plug a like we were talking, you could plug a Stream Deck into a Raspberry Pi and have this thing execute all kinds of different things, all kinds of different automations, anything you could think of. Ansible scripts, anything you can fire off over HTTP, UDP, a WebSocket, SSH, other kind of connectivity, this thing can trigger using the Stream Deck. How cool is this? That sounds incredible. And the Stream Decks are pretty well priced, too. So it's not, it's not ludicrous. I'm, I'm thinking if we get an Odroid going as a headless soundboard, that's something we got to try out. So this week, I, I, honestly, I honestly thought we would have a pretty poor performing week this week in the boost because we got such tremendous support over the last couple of episodes. 5.11 and 5.10, you know, we were ranking, both episodes ranked in the top 10 charts. And I thought, okay, this is going to be the week that we have a big pullback. But people really, really stepped up and we still got 1.5 million total sats into the show this week. So this is something I'm going to try to do is a little bit of radical transparency with everybody and just be totally clear about how much money we're making through this process, just so that way you can follow along with us. And you know how much these things take. You know what's involved in running a business. I don't have anything to hide from you. So 1,532,870 total sats were earned this episode through the boosts. 36 total boosts from 28 individual boosters this week. Wow. Really, really appreciate it. I hope we can keep that going. We have some pre-records coming up. And we'd love suggestions and ideas for show content that you'd like to hear from us, but also feedback where we can answer questions in those episodes because we got some summer pre-records coming up. So please do boost in. And if you'd like to do so, well, my friend, there are two options ahead of you. You can participate in the podcasting revolution at newpodcastapps.com and get a podcasting 2.0 compatible app and get all the new features like transcripts, boost payments, and of course, chapters, cloud chapters at that and all of the new things that are getting sorted out in the podcasting 2.0 spec. Or you can keep your dang podcast app. I understand. I understand. And uh, you can just boost from the web. First, GetAlby at GetAlby.com. Top that off either directly in the app or like using the Cash app. And then head over to the Podcast Index and boost in from the Podcast Index website. Just look up Linux Unplugged and you can boost in right from there. We're seeing more and more folks do it. And you keep your existing podcast app. Whichever way you prefer, we love the support. And of course, a big shout out to our members, UnpluggedCore.com. Now with pay for what you like pricing and uh, more and more that we can think of. We're always trying to come up with new things for our members, including the ad-free feed, the members special feed, which is like double the show and all of that. All right. Follow up from Neil B here. I, oh, you got I, the math problem figured I, out. I think so. Okay. So all right. 14,638 times 41 is 600,158, uh-huh. of course, right, Chris? Sure, I knew that. I was waiting for you to catch up. Yeah, okay. And then we treat that as a base 10 decibel number. We convert that to base 36. Okay. And assuming this calculator I found online is right, mm-hmm. that's CV32. Okay. And we yeah. go look that up. The CV32 postcode district uh, seems to be in the United Kingdom. All right. Now, near uh, Covington, Warwick, perhaps. There we go. Royal Learnington Spa. Oh, yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah, we love that spa. Oh, Wooten. Okay. <laughs> well, let us know if he got it right. Let us know. I, I don't know if he did or not, but we'll find out. You'll have to do a boost follow up. Thank you, everybody who does support the show. This is a value for value production, and we are moving into a new frontier, and we're trying to build the next 15 years, and we appreciate your help. I have a pick for you, though, before we get out of here. What? You snuck a peek in, a pick into this monstrosity? I feel like maybe one of you two found this one. 
But looking at my notes, I think I found this. It's called Please Run That. And it is a simple Python socket app that lets a friend execute command on your system without opening any ports or using an SSH server at all. And it has a very, and I mean very simple GUI. So it's just straight up a Python app. And I run this. And I feel like you and I could use this. I have it running on my system here. And then you, you, you install the client on your side. We just connect and you can run any arbitrary command on my system that you like. That's a lot of trust. Well, I'm running it with a limited user. You know, I have it logged in with the Brent user, but you know, you can still delete Brent's files. Yeah. There's definitely never any privilege escalation. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, maybe you just use it with yourself. Maybe you only trust yourself, but it's literally called Please Run That. I'll have a link in the show notes. You got the server side. You got the client side. Server is sitting there waiting for you to connect in and remotely tell it to run anything you want. <laughs> it's a great idea, right? <laughs> I feel like nothing could go wrong. Nothing could go There's wrong. Only one, you know, maybe we set one of these up and we let the audience try it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Um, uh, oh, Cloudbox? <clears throat> Chris, you remember earlier how you were saying you wanted to do a, a hardening episode? I think now's yeah. the better time <laughs> to do that. <laughs> yeah, maybe I need a refresher, huh? Yeah. Then here's one I put in here for anybody that's feeling a little envious. Microsoft Build just happened, and uh, they had a lot to say for developers, developers, developers. And one of them was some Git integration with Explorer. And that, you know, I know that's going to be tempting for some of you. You want that Git baked right into your Windows Explorer.exe. Well, how about? How about baking it into Nautilus? Turtle is a version control system. It is written in the GTK4 lib and it will plug in via a Nautilus plugin and give you Git support right in your dang file manager. Wow. And it looks really good. It actually looks like a beautifully modern designed GNOME application, GNOME application and a lot of good feedback, a lot of good messages. It doesn't hide any of this stuff from you like the Windows Explorer version does. And it will overlay Git status icons on top of the file manager for you. Gosh, okay. Well, Real I'm, nice integration. I'm going to have to try this. I'll note, too, it's powered by PyGit2 under the hood, which yeah. is a handy Python library if you got to do Git stuff. I had occasion recently to need to migrate a whole bunch of repos from one remote to another. PyGit2 made switching those out super simple. So it's built on uh, solid foundations. Indeed. In fact, most of the dependencies you need are already packaged by Debian or Fedora. So if you're on one of them distributions and probably any other distribution, you're probably fine. And again, it's called Turtle. Turtle, a version control system. A modern version control system for the Genome desktop. It's nice, right? I think, Brent, you found this one? No, I think this was all you this week. Good finds, Chris. Was it? Really? I found both the picks and I don't remember. We were, we were focused on Rust picks. Jeez. We don't have time for other picks. I'm getting old. <laughs> that's what that means. That's, that's what that means. Well, good. All right. So, yeah. Go find those in the show notes at linuxunplugged.com slash 512, which is an awesome episode number. 512. Can we just take a moment and appreciate 512 megs, 512K, 512 sectors. Number 512 is at a big part in our lives as geeks. It's fun to have episode 512. So, com slash 512. For everything we talked about today, go get some more Bitcoin Dad Pod. The Bitcoin Dad and I are breaking down all the things going on in Bitcoin and all the silly cryptocurrency things that happen as well from time to time with some Schadenfreuder. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know. and that's not just an ice cream flavor. No, delicious though. I love eating that. I love that Schadenfreuder. It's delicious. Little caramel strips in there too. Little chunks of uh, caramel. Just absolutely love it. 
I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody at Linux Fest Northwest. If you haven't checked out the website yet, head on over, get yourself oriented with what's going on over there. It's going to be a Jupiter Broadcasting Party for sure. And don't forget, we get together. We do this show live on the Sundays over at jblive.tv. Next week, we're recording a double, and then we're going to be uh, in a summer schedule for a little bit. See you next week. Same bad time, same bad station. If you're in the industry, or if you're just curious about what's going on in the world of Linux and open source, don't miss Linux Action News, Lean, Mean, and What's Going On every single week. Wes and I break it down for you. We won't waste any of your time. And hopefully, you'll walk away knowing a little something you didn't know beforehand. LinuxActionNews.com. Go find it. And of course, you can always catch us over here on the JBLive.tv on Mondays. We do the Coda Radio program live at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern as well. All of it's at JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Unplugged program. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday. than the eight second intro outro you told me to do yeah i know right yeah i don't i'm not a big fan of the long i actually don't care how long outros are but the intro i i think the perfect lup intro would be i think that'd be perfect now but we got a legacy and also nothing hits like old ronald right like the ronald songs i still have a special heart a special spot in my heart for ronald jenkins i was catch i was watching some of his live stuff that man's got some serious talent, you know? So, yeah, I can't bring myself to shorten it anymore. I like that. In fact, for the uh, special episodes, we went with extended longer intros because I could. <laughs> I just like, I love the song. Yeah, Linux Unplugged 500. I really uh, started tearing up when you played that last time.